Do you know, there's a little boy in this room, his name is Toby, and he's very little, but he saw an angel up here. Isn't that amazing? And uh, so, you know, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you're with us, and I just ask that you would um, anoint me and speak through me tonight, and I just know that you love us so much. Okay, um, well, I was watching a clip and it's going to come up silently. Uh, it's John Wimber doing a clinic, a signs and wonders clinic in the early days. And I remember being at those sorts of conferences on the edge of my seat watching how he would describe what was happening to somebody. And, uh, you know, how they would be shaking, the Spirit of God's on them. And then the person would stop and describe what, what they were feeling and sensing. And we would be utterly riveted. And I was watching and I was thinking... These sorts of things are so normal to us. Not only so normal in our churches, but out there on the streets. And how amazing it would be if John were to see what was happening in our movement over here. And of course, through Jesus, he is. But we are the vineyard. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have vision. We're extending God's kingdom together everywhere in every way. And I just want to thank you for sending your stories in. I wept as I read them. You're making disciples. You are diligent in serving your communities. You are doing a wonderful job. You are ministering in power. And you know, I cannot list all the stories. The healings that you have been seeing, um, countless backs and necks and frozen shoulders and arthritic conditions and allergies and skin conditions and swellings going down, eyes, ears, feet, toes. I mean, it goes on and on. It is just amazing. And some of you are so practiced in healing that when those sorts of healings don't happen, you are so surprised. But I'm going to tell you a few highlights so Rob Gardner wrote from Network Vineyard in Reading, and he told us how they obviously regularly go out to minister on the streets, but um, they were ministering with a woman who she herself suffers from multiple sclerosis. But they were ministering, and she was part of their team, ministering in power. They were seeing people come to faith. But at the end of the morning, the team felt they should pray for this woman. And they prayed for her, and the feeling returned to her fingers. She was able to feel for the first time. She was able to get up and walk without her stick. Isn't that wonderful? Now, there's another story. Yes, glory to the Lord, but I'm going to have to keep race through. I've got a lot of stories. There was another one, amazing one, that came from Langham Valley in uh, Ireland. Andrew Masters wrote of a young man in their church who was diagnosed with cancerous tumors in his brain. And uh, he w they prayed for him as a church, but he then went to a final consultation with his mother, who is a not, who's not a believer. But she went with him, and it was a consultation to talk about the invasive surgery that he'd be having and the kind of uh, radiotherapy that he'd have to go through. And they did a final scan, and the scan showed that the, the tumors had completely disappeared. Now, the young, uh, the young man's mother, she began to exclaim, to the doctor, surely this is a miracle, this is a miracle. And the doctor said to her, uh, well, we don't really use that word. All I can say is there's absolutely no medical explanation for what has happened. <laughs> Folks, people continue to be healed in worship. Here's a story from Birmingham, from the McNeils. Let's watch this. So tell me, you went to course to live for. How were you doing when you went to course to live for? When I went to course to live for, I had scoliosis of the spine, which I've had since I was born. 
and I also had pain in my knees, osteoarthritis in my knees, and the knees of a 90-year-old woman. So what happened to Costa Liffle? Well, in the worship I was held, went to bed that night, which I was camping on the floor, which I shouldn't have been able to do anyway, and then in the morning, I like bounced out of bed, like Tigger, and normally it would have taken four people to help me up off the floor. That's amazing. What's happened since then? Since then, I've suddenly found I can do loads of things that I couldn't do before and things that I can do now that I've always wanted to do. That's amazing. Praise God. <laughs> Folks, as well as wonderful physical healings, you've seen miraculous breakthroughs with buildings. Many of you have been able to find buildings, your building. Some of you have had been able to acquire buildings that are perfectly ready-made, suitable for your needs and for the needs of the community. And there have been some real fulfillments of prophecies that just, just really touched me. One of them, um, St. Albans Vineyard takes a team uh, regularly out to India. And uh, there was a pastor there. They had no idea that he was in such a state of despair. He was so disillusioned with the way ministry was going that he was actually suicidal. But as a result of one of the prophetic words given to him, his whole life was turned around. Jason um, from Sutton Vineyard, Jason Clark wrote... Now, this story began 16 years ago. Um, at this point in time, this woman wasn't in their church, but the Lord spoke to her and told her to start saving for a children's ministry. And uh, she then joined um, Sutton, Vine uh, Sutton Vineyard um, a few years ago, or maybe not even as long as that. Uh, but in September, Jason talked to the church about their vision, that they would be investing in a full-time children's worker and family pastor. And the Lord told her this was the ministry she'd been saving for, and she handed over to Sutton Vineyard 30,000 pounds. Folks, not only do we continue to be expectant in signs and wonders, but we are ministering to the poor and the vulnerable. In Mansfield, Tim and Hannah, they wrote, and they told about how when they've been going into prisons, the men there have been weeping when the Holy Spirit falls on them. Some of you are really effectively ministering to ex-cons, and many of you are helping to change the lives of those suffering with addictions. You're reaching out to flood victims. You're feeding them, rescue, restoring their houses. In Aberdeen, Chuck and Taryn, they wrote about how one Sunday their Inveruri site abandoned church altogether to set up a soup kitchen in the worst affected area damaged by floods. So many imaginative ways of reaching out. Coastline Vineyard is reaching out through pop-up clubs, footballs, uh, throwing parties for the homeless. But Debbie Moscatini wrote to me about something that happened in Wokingham. The Lord told them that they were to set up a caravan in the midst of a traveler site where families were facing eviction. The tension and legal battles raged between the council and landowners. But through the Jesus caravan, as it came to be known, the families were loved, served, and prayed for, and they saw amazing answers to prayer as each family found a, a peaceful housing resolution. As a church, they now have a relationship with over 100 people from six nationalities, and so many of them are touching church for the first time. We saw the film of the churches uh, that received money as they ministered to refugees, but so many of you have been welcoming all kinds of refugees and asylum seekers. They are just some beautiful stories, doing up houses, preparing, furnishing accommodation, befriending, visiting, teaching English, praying for people, seeing them integrated into your churches. 
And a number of you were present welcoming the children that came across into the UK last term. I love the story from Croydon where they've been integrating and ministering to asylum seekers and refugees and then when they hear of those people being, uh, having to move to another city, they've connected them with another church. One such family were connected to Cardiff, but then when they were told that this same family were going to move to Swansea, they were able to connect them with a lively church there. Folks, we serve these people as if we were to serve Jesus, as if we're serving him and they're teaching us so much. James Rankin told us a story, an amazing story of generosity. As Paul commended the Macedonians to the Corinthians, it's a similar story to that. It's a letter that came to Cardiff Vineyard. Dear sir, madam, we are asylum seekers and are not so sure how long we will remain in Cardiff. While we are here, we are being provided with accommodation as well as Tesco vouchers to buy food. As we do not have money, we are unable to pay our tithes and offerings in cash. Therefore, we would be grateful if you would receive our tithes and offerings in Tesco vouchers until we have money of our own. Sorry for the inconvenience. God bless. P.S. They work well at the tills. <laughs> Last year, John Scott from Glasgow Vineyard prophetically told us, yes, prophetically told us that we would have media recognition as a vineyard. And sure enough, you have been featuring in local press, on the radio, TV, Sky channels. Some of you have been recognized by your authorities, a local council. Some of you have won awards. It's wonderful. We have become so intentional in the area of evangelism. You're discipling new believers more intentionally than ever, and there are efforts on the streets with a miracle question, which we thank Mark Marks for and the example of Causeway Coast. It has spread across our movement like wildfire. Hundreds, if not thousands, are experiencing the Holy Spirit for the first time, receiving prayer and opening their hearts to Jesus. And folks, we cannot underestimate the power of those seeds being sown. You know, Cardiff Encounter Year were visiting Causeway Coast and they were up there in Ireland. They went out on the streets and they started to pray for a man and he said, just like the vineyard. But they weren't talking about Causeway Coast vineyard. He was talking about Glasgow. Isn't that amazing? In Cambridge, the Cam Vineyard, they were out and they asked this man uh, the miracle question and he told them that he had recently turned to Islam in his attempts to connect with God. But then he read about Jesus, and so he began to read the Bible. They explained to him how Jesus was knocking at his door. It turned out that he had more than once had a dream where he was standing in front of a door, and so there and then they led him to Jesus. This story really, um, gosh, there's just so many, but I'm going to get through and start talking in a minute, um, <laughs> as in a different, a different tempo. Anyway, um, this happened at Melton Vineyard, and I actually heard the story live from some very excited people who were visiting uh, our church. Anyway, this started a few years ago, uh, many, uh, about four or five years ago, and um, this woman was beginning to wonder about God and whether she should find a church, but then she was diagnosed with cancer, and she had to undergo um, a long season of, the, of um, radiotherapy. And... Uh, 
so all that kind of went on the back burner. Anyway, she was walking along one day, and she came across a stone. It was a bit of a dusty stone, but she dusted it off, and there it said, a gift for you, and it was, there was a picture of the baby Jesus. And she really believed that was God's word to her, that he was with her. She put the stone in her bag and carried it with her everywhere through all her radiotherapy, and then finally she had the all clear. And she thought, I must find a church. Someone told her about Melton Vineyard. She turned up only to find that they were the people who had gone out with these stones and she had found it and she was saved. We are so excited about these outreach efforts. Folks, we must carry on. Do you know, a little eight-year-old girl, Hannah, from Causeway Coast Vineyard, asked if she could go into all the classes of her school, asked her head teacher, and asked if children wanted to open their hearts to Jesus. She was told she could, and she went in, and that day, 15 children, in front of their classes, gave their lives to Jesus. Another little girl, 11-year-old Megalyn, she's part of our church here, and she joined her parents for a prophecy evening where she would be part of the team. And uh, a young man came that evening. In our church, anybody can sign up. He wasn't a believer. She prophesied over him, and as a result of her prophecy, she led him through the prayer of salvation. <laughs> Do you know... Um, we're always looking for every opportunity to minister in power. And I have to tell you, this has happened to somebody that we have come to know and be friends with. He's um, a successful businessman, and he was going through Alpha uh, last term. And he told us that there on the table, he admitted, he um, confessed or talked about the fact that he had suffered from alcoholism from the age of 16. And, uh, and also insomnia, hadn't slept from that age, and uh, even now as a married man, he would sleep on the sofa so as not to wake his wife. And he told the Alpha table, now bear in mind, most of the people on that table are not believers. The Alpha host uh, said, why don't we all pray? And so the table got round him and prayed. And that night, he slept. And he has, this has been several months now. He has slept ever since then, and he has not touched a drop of alcohol. And then the Lord came to him, and in a vision showed him really clearly the people that he needed to forgive. That he was in serious danger of actually stabbing somebody if he didn't forgive. And uh, he began to forgive people, and now he started bringing those people to church. It's amazing what the Lord is doing. Folks, as we've heard from James, stories of church planting and adopting churches, Croydon Vineyard described how the Holy Spirit was so much at work in the adoption and integration of one of their now off-site congregations, which was once a brethren church. Isn't that amazing? Oh, uh, I just love that. I just can't believe it. <laughs> so, <laughs> folks, We've been, uh, well, we're all worshipping, but uh, Vineyard Records has been releasing albums. Do you know, I, I have wept listening to Fearless. That was Cause to Live for last, um, last year. Absolutely, no, no, DTI, sorry, DTI in the summer, so part of 2016. It is absolutely amazing. I have wept listening to some of those. Uh, all My Love from Cause to Live for. These are live um, worship albums. You just have to listen to them. It is Fabulous worship. And then Joel Barber, uh, this one's on sale now, but it's going to be released. Uh, I, th I thought it was after NLC, but here it is. Streets of Grace. Wonderful, wonderful. Folks, uh, 
another thing, this is something that has really blessed me. As I've followed you all on social media, not, I don't think I follow all of you, but I try and follow all of you. I don't know if you, uh, but anyway, everything that comes up, there is so much prayer and fasting going on in our movement. It is fantastic. It is absolutely invaluable. And folks, I just want to remind you of something that happened last year. Many of you joined in with it. The invitation by Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, to Kingdom Come Prayer. Uh, we heard about it, not, uh, we, we happened to be praying coinciding at that time between Easter and Pentecost. And, you know, I just want to encourage, if you can make that room in your diaries, we would be joining with many other denominations, movements and streams across all the nation, praying for our towns, our cities, the nation and the world. And this thing is spreading and it is really worth being part of. Imagine that the shaking of the heavens and the earth <laughs> through prayer. Folks, I could go on and on. There are just so many stories that I could have told. We are experiencing what I said at the beginning when Paul prayed and he's quoted in Ephesians and it says, and he speaks of this in chapter three, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. His power is at work within us, and we are seeing amazing things. We have been called, we have vision, we see the way ahead, and I sense the Lord's pleasure over us. What an amazing God we have. But I want to change tack. I want to change gear, because I feel that the Lord has more for us, more for us individually, more than what we are doing, and achieving, which is wonderful, and we rejoice over it, we give God all the glory. But there's more on this journey for you and for me. Right. Now, lots of you will know that my parents were missionaries in Chile. I was born there. I am Chilena. Hola, mis amigos de Chile. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, <laughs> I could go on and someone could interpret. Anyway, um, so one thing that was really exciting was we would travel about every four years back and forth. So there was one or two of those journeys I remember vividly. And I remember traveling from England to Chile by ship. It was about four weeks journey. And uh, so we would wave goodbye. I remember waving goodbye to relatives and friends from England. And uh, it would take forever to leave port and we would set out over the Atlantic. And then a few hours in, we would start to get seasick. And it was the most horrible feeling. And uh, as our tummies were beginning to adjust, about a week in, we would hit a terrible storm. I mean, so terrible. We'd all be throwing up. I, I kind of remember someone either throwing up over my head or me throwing up over someone else's head from a top bank. I, it was so traumatic, I've blanked off exactly the facts. And I don't want to ask and revive the memory in any of my sisters because there will be, you know, a, a terrible, terrible fight or something. Anyway, um, so we would be really sick, and then, as little girls, we would recover before the adults. So imagine this, I mean, we're talking of over maybe a thousand passengers on these ocean liners. And uh, we would, so we would be starving after several days, so we would leave our cabins and venture through the top. It was a terrible health and safety hazard. It was a cross between the Titanic that we didn't actually sing, and The Walking Dead, confess, I have been watching it. And uh, we would bump into people who looked like they were dead, but we didn't get eaten. And uh, so 
you know, so we would venture into the kitchens and we would rampage around. I mean, knives flying off things, you know, furniture moving around. I mean, it was terrible. And we would find bits and pieces to eat and then we'd go back down to our parents and maybe they were ready to eat something. I mean, it was frightening. Then we would recover from that and then there would be this wonderful sunbathing on the decks and playing games and it was wonderful. And then someone would get sunstroke and that was terrible and I always thought they were just pretending and seeking attention. And then, um, you know, there would be just uh, all sorts of things, wonderful celebrations as we crossed the, um, the equator. And, um, and so then we would finally, finally see land ahead and eventually get to port and get off. And it was just extraordinary. The journey, journey had different stages, ups and downs. And folks, we are all on a journey. Some of you are about to start and you're very excited. Some of you are just beginning a new chapter in your leadership and in the life of your church. Some of you are starting to feel a bit sick. <laughs> Some of you may feel like jumping or overboard. We are at different stages, but what I want to suggest tonight is that while we are busy doing wonderful things, making a great impact for the kingdom, there is a deep work going on in our lives along the way. Steve Nicholson, he always used to say and still does that you are the project. I am God's project. You are the project. Don't get confused. God is wanting to change us on this journey. Wherever you are tonight, whatever season you're in, twists and turns, God usually does his best work in us through these unexpected times, challenges we didn't ask for or plan for. While we're making a difference, at the same time we can find ourselves in uncomfortable, painful, undesired places. On this journey there will be perilous challenges. What happens to us along the way is really important. I read a really good book this year. It's called The Land Between by Jeff Mannion. Really, really recommend it. He talks of jarring transitions, sudden loss of a loved one. Your child may be now fighting for his or her life. The church starts to hemorrhage money or people. You're called into the office to be told you're losing your job. A time when everything normal seems to disappear. A phone call in the night announcing an accident or a heart attack. You suddenly find yourself single and you never bargain for that. It's like you've been thrown from a moving train. It can be gradual, but it wasn't wanted. A child whose heart grows cold towards God. Or your marriage is suffering slow erosion. Dreams for your ministry repeatedly fail and your confidence wanes. It's part of the journey that you didn't plan for or pack for. My parents went out to Chile to share the good news of Jesus. It's a predominantly Catholic nation, steeped in superstition, bound by religion. And so when they hear the good news of Jesus, it is amazing. When the spirit falls, when you see churches spontaneously planted, miracles. I mean, I saw amazing things as a child. And it was amazing for my parents to see the fulfillment of their purpose and mission as they were called by God. But on the journey... The things they didn't pack for, earthquakes, broken relationships, military coups. My sister nearly died from a burst appendix. Death threats over their life, food shortages, having to send us back to boarding school to the UK. These were parts of the journey that were unplanned for, unprepared for. 
But you know, once in the UK, 18 years after their time in Chile, they said it was preparation. In the turmoil and the suffering, God did a work in them which led to great fruitfulness. John Wimber visited. The vineyard blessed them. New wine was birthed. Through their leadership of Mike Pilavachi, their youth leader, Soul Survivor, was birthed. Wonderful worship started with Mike Pilavachi, who was one of their, sorry, not Mike Pilavachi, Matt Redman, uh, who was one of their little kids that grew up at St. Andrews. And then the Hughes brothers, the, the Hughes, uh, John Hughes used to be curate at St. Andrews. Uh, they were able to invest and release in some of the best leaders in this country. And they were pioneering in church planting when it was a dirty concept in the Church of England. Folks, there's more for us. When we find ourselves in uncharted territory, when we find ourselves in undesired circumstances that we didn't anticipate or want, sometimes when we hit the storms, we can find ourselves asking, where is the more in this? It can feel empty. What on earth is there to celebrate? There seems like there is nothing to be thankful for. Could God really have more for us in this emptiness and this pain? I want to remind us of Moses. It's such a familiar story, but in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord says to him, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering, and so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So, in verse 10, he says, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God gives Moses a vision of more. He talks about a destination, a land flowing with milk and honey. He tells them where they're headed, but he doesn't say anything about the journey. He doesn't tell them about the challenges, how impossible Pharaoh is going to be, what the Red Sea is going to be like, the living nightmare of the Red Sea, the desert that they would be there for 40 years, a treacherous land, parched with no water, no food, a horrible experience. What was God doing? What was he doing? The desert can draw out the worst in us, or it can change us for the best. Sadly, the response of the Israelites was to complain and resent. In Numbers 11, after two years of the miraculous provision of manna, they grew sick of it. All they could do was remember Egypt with rose-colored spectacles. Their palates were not prepared for the manna. They remembered the garlic and the leeks and the spices and the fish. And so they grumbled and complained against God and Moses. God wanted them to trust. They refused to trust. So God describes them as becoming corrupt, as rejecting God, and they put Moses under terrible pressure. The desert journey drew out the worst in them. Yet we see in Moses something very different. He has a different posture towards God. Possibly the unexpected events of his childhood, his youth, the experience of shepherding until the age of 80 had grown him in certain areas. Through these things, God perhaps had prepared him for the unexpected more. Folks, he was totally honest with God about his experience. He does complain. He expresses himself at times like a man close to emotional breakdown. Some of you know what I mean. In Numbers 11, 11 to 15, Moses is crying out to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to deserve this? 
Did I conceive them, speaking of the Israelites? Was I their mother? I can't do this by myself. If this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. He pours his heart out to God. He's in meltdown, asking question after question, but he's not rejecting God. He's asking for God's help. I can't do this by myself. When Moses is hard-pressed, he pursues more of God. He knows at this point that he needs more support than ever, so he leans in. What anxiety are you leaning into God with? What load are you helping, are you asking for his help to carry? What disappointment are you giving him? Or are you carrying it alone? Or worse, are you burdening everybody else with it? So in the midst of this, which way are you leaning? Which way are you facing? Moses faces in the right direction. He sought God's presence through all the pain. Yes, he does wrestle with the challenges, but he's showing trust and dependence on God. God comes to him. There was more of God for Moses. There was more closeness to him. He brought just enough rest, just enough release at the times when he needed it. There is grace in these times. There is opportunity for more for you in these times. Because despite the despairing, Moses' face shone, shone after being in the presence of God. I have to admit that my face has not shone when I've been in these twists and turns on the journey. I have wrestled with trusting. I could give you so many examples. A few years, well, many years ago, before we came into this building, we were establishing Trent Vineyard. Things were going really well, and a lovely young couple joined our church. They were so gifted. Every kind of leader, prophetic person that came to our church would spot them and prophesy over them. There was such an invitation over their lives. And they um, uh, led our youth ministry and our student ministry, and everything was going really well. But we began to see that um, he had... Uh, inappropriate boundaries with young women. And uh, we began to wonder whether he was telling us the truth in certain situations. So we began to challenge and we brought them in as a couple and we began to talk about their marriage and how we might be able to help them. And they didn't want to hear. And uh, eventually he said, I, I don't want to be in pastoral ministry anymore and, and he resigned and, and uh, we, you know, we thought it had all gone really well and then they left the church and we were devastated. We were devastated. He was, they were a wonderful couple. And they left us. And I plummeted. Uh, and I remember talking to Eleanor about just wanting to throw up. I had suffered from bulimia in the past. And I said, I'm, I'm on the brink. I am so desperate. I don't know how to cope with this. I lost weight, not through throwing up, but just, I just lost my appetite. I was uh, a nervous wreck. I, was, I remember on a few days just being, you know, just ill, ill, physically ill with it all. And I wrestled with whether we could have done more, whether we got it wrong, whether we could have helped them more. And uh, after they left us and they left the church, they continued to party with our students and our young people and see them. And we um, just had to just maintain a posture of love and grace. And it was incredibly hard. And uh, some years later, it emerged that he, when his wife came back to the church, that there had been three adulterous relationships. And then they separated and eventually divorced. And many, many years later, I can say she's happily married again. 
the Lord had actually saved us from something very, very complicated. Um, if it had happened in the church, it would have been really, really bad. And actually, under new leadership, the ministries thrived. It was wonderful. God was faithful. God was in control. It was his church. It was his ministry. Many of you have experienced these kind of things. Many of you have been there. Someone that you care for, someone that you have led to Jesus takes a terrible turn and falls. Or a ministry initiative is sabotaged by, sabotaged by somebody who just wrecks it in some way. You're asked to step down from doing something you love to do. Can you imagine? It's something that you feel gifted for, called to, and somebody says you need to step down. Or a close friend betrays you. Or someone won't speak to you. It's shocking. You think it can't be happening. But these are experiences that you've had. Our hearts break. And some of these disappointments go really deep into our souls. Because they're mostly about people. And people really matter. These disappointments are not about numbers. Our lives are intertwined with one another. It could be our children, loved ones, our colleagues, our friends... They get into our heads, our hearts. And so it's incredibly natural to find yourself despairing and complaining when things go wrong. I have so much compassion for those who are in those situations. We have been through many things like that. But we must be careful not to get stuck. As I read Jeff's book, The Lamb Between, it struck me when he said, you see, you don't have to extend an invitation to complaint. It's there, it's moved in, it's unpacked its stuff into the drawers, it's there automatically, it's a predisposition. But with it can come a gravitational pull towards bitterness, towards taking offense, and this is incredibly damaging. Jeff Mannion says, complaint is anchored in the suspicion that God is not good. The enemy shouts out to you and to me, he's not good, don't trust him. Relentlessly, he shouts at you. He calls at you. He names it and he tells you not to trust God. But the Spirit whispers, trust me. Trust me intimately. I'm good. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. And we have a choice to tune in and listen and trust in God's goodness. And we have to remind ourselves of the scriptures and of God's trustworthiness. John's father died before Christmas. He battled for years with dementia and Alzheimer's. It is a demonic disease. There were times when his mother would call in tears because of the row that they'd had over some ridiculous thing because he was confused. And we agonized with her. We agonized for years. It was relentless. Uh, God, just at different stages, provided just enough. It was the right time and we thought there would be a breakthrough and something would change. They moved into, into a house and then eventually uh, a wonderful home was found for him. Um, but he just continued to deteriorate and it was exhausting and John's mother had ME and so it was even worse. And then the home that he was in uh, told them that he had become violent this is a man who loved the Lord, that he was in danger of damaging himself and others. And so they asked if they could sedate him, and they did. And John and his mother went to see him the Wednesday before the week that he died. And he was a shell, a shell of himself. He was negative. He didn't recognize them. And uh, it was desperately sad. And John and his mother cried out, take him, take him home, take him home now. The home had said to them, there is nothing wrong with him in his physical being. He could go on for 10, 15 years. 
But his mind was gone, and it was just so disturbing. And I remember, John, uh, we talked together to Tom Campion, our psychotherapist, and we talked about the value of life and, and uh, you know, what, visiting him because he, you know, he's alive, but there's, it's not him and how important that is and for our sake and all of that. And, and then we, John wept as he said, I feel like my father's died, but he's still alive. I've lost him, but he's gone. And we wept together about this and... and uh, and, you know, crying out to the Lord. On the Saturday, the home called us and he said, his body's shutting down. And uh, that week, John was able to go down. We were able to go down with our boys, John's brothers. We all, you know, spent time sitting with him. He didn't seem to be kind of sort of with us, but then at times he would smile, he was peaceful, and he died, and he went to be with the Lord. And, you know, some of you have lost loved ones and, and you're, you're de in desperate grief, and, and there is grief, but it's also an amazing, miraculous provision of the Lord. He's gone to be with Jesus, and it's the end of a terrible battle. And John's mother grieves, but she is uh, in, in a state also of joy because she's free, and she's just come back from Cyprus from three weeks away. And I look back and I just think, Lord, you provided at every stage. You proved totally trustworthy. Uh, I know John and his mom and his brothers went to the edge, but every time you came and you provided just enough, and now you've taken him home, and it's miraculous. It's wonderful. Folks, God is trustworthy. But we can get stuck. We can get stuck. If we don't offer trust, we will damage ourselves and others. At times, it takes a while to see the effects of being stuck in grumbling and complaint. I've been there, and it's a wake-up call. When somebody says, Debbie, stop it, stop it, you know, the effect on, on ourselves and on others, it's so damaging because complaint can shift us away from trusting in God. And then we start to seek other people to save us. We start drawing other people in. We start to emit bitterness, negativity. We rob others of vision, and we deny God his glory. We stop shining. We stop shining. We deny God his glory. And when you see it and someone kindly points it out, as people, as people have done to me, um, we have to act. When the enemy is doing his worst, when the burden is too heavy, we need to seek God all the more. Folks, I've been in that place. I've been in that place where the enemy tried to take me out. In 2015, as we were coming up to hands being laid on us, I was under the most demonic enemy assault. It was just evil. And I went into John's office one day and I said, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. I could not tell. I couldn't see how we could do both. The Lord said, clearly, you need to do, you're going to do the movement and the church. I couldn't work it out. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know how to do it. I was confused. I was oppressed. And I, almost, I believed that the Lord had given me permission to say no. I truly believed it. I even convinced my father, who has always given me the best spiritual advice, on the phone, we made an agreement together which we had to repent of. But what happened is I went in to the office, to John's office, and I said, I believe we have permission to say no. Even at this hour, we have permission to say no. And John looked at me simultaneously with love in his eyes, but anger at what I was saying. I don't know if you've ever experienced someone doing that to you. You know they love you, but they're angry at what you're stating because it's demonic. And he said, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> And it was the best thing. And we remembered um, that 
Well, we remembered how often the Lord has spoken in those times and, and given us um, a way to, to get through it. And so he went to pray and I went back to my knees because if we're not in agreement together, then that's not the Lord. And so um, we cried out to the Lord and then the Lord reminded us that John Scott in Glasgow, Alan Scott's brother, somebody told me months previously that he had a word for us. Now, he knew nothing, knew nothing of the state we were in, knew nothing at all. John texted him, so there's no tone, there's no, and just said, we hear you have a word for us, now would be a good time. <laughs> and uh, he texted back, and he said, yes. We called him, and he said this, if you deny your calling, you will never come into your gifting. mercy of God, the mercy of God, the mercy of God. You know, when we struggle, we're in good company. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David cried out in pages of anguish, how long, how long? Elijah, as John talked about on Monday, became suicidal. But their anguish was directed at God. If you've ever been, if you've found yourself in that place, there are best ways to face it. There are best ways to lean into the more. But we have to make choices. Have you found reliable, good people who are not going to get burdened and who are going to be able to give you wisdom? John and Ellen have been there for me. They have given me wisdom and they have supported me and loved me. Our psychotherapist, our spiritual director, my parents, yes, most of the time, have been amazing. Uh, John has been incredible. But folks, most of all, just crying out to God, saying everything, I want to die, I want to, I can't do this, but just crying out in honesty. And folks, I want to recommend journaling. Cry it out on page. You know, when you, when you write it down, it's like you right-size the problem because we can become uh, overwhelmed and we can exaggerate the problem. And you start to writing it down. It forces us to right-size it. You may say, you know, you feel betrayed or you feel like it's killing you or it hurts. You start naming the problem. Peter tells us in chapter 5, Cast all your anxieties on him. It's a forceful thing. Throw it at God. He can take it. He's big enough. Cast off your anxieties onto him. Do it as much as you need to. But keep the faith. Keep trusting God. Don't try to control or manipulate or bleed all over others. And hold fast to God's promises. He longs to give you more of himself. There's more for you ahead. You see, folks, I'm learning that suffering doesn't automatically lead to maturity. Time doesn't always heal. Peter Sturrock uh, encouraged me, well, I asked him if I could tell this story, and he allowed me to graciously. And um, he, when, if you ever watch uh, Peter worshipping, you'll notice he's, um, he's on the board of trustees. So Peter and just recently moved down to the Midlands and to Leicester. And he, he, if you watch him worship, he puts his arm, uh, one arm in the air straight, and the other one's a little bit crooked or bent. Now, the reason for this is that when he was a little boy, he broke his arm. And... Um, it's healed, but it was set wrong, and so it's stuck. And folks, we can heal but get stuck in an attitude, in a resentment. We can become offended. There's another really good book that was recommended to me called The Bait of Satan. It sounds dramatic, but it's so true. We can start to see everything through the lens of offense. Once we start looking at the glass half empty, everything is down there, and we don't see through eyes of faith. Folks, if we don't allow God's presence, his voice to speak to us, to change us, we might not mend in a good way. 
Folks, in the end, this journey that we're on, it's not about us. It's not actually about our reputation or our achievements or our self-fulfillment or nice feelings. I was struck when uh, at the end of this kind of, well, during this relentless journey that Moses is on, he slipped up once. He struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it as God told him. And he suffers a severe punishment. He doesn't get to go into the promised land. But folks, he shone because I never see any complaint. There's no complaint against God. There's just preparing the next generation. And we know him for humility. We don't, you know, I, I sometimes forget that that happened to Moses. And yet it was utterly unfair, utterly disappointing. It was a public rebuke, but he never complained. The journey is a test of trust and love. Our aim, our aim is more enjoyment and love of Jesus, more pleasing him in everything. Isn't it wonderful that after Peter betrayed Jesus and Jesus comes to him, he doesn't say, what's your plan? What's your vision? What's your numerical goal? You know, how many are you gonna lead to Christ? And you know, what are you gonna do as, you, as I entrust you with the church? What he asks him is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Am I enough? Uh, am I enough? Because that's, that's what we end with, Lord, folks. That's what we end with. Am I enough? You know, we, we have to kind of put our roles aside, our church, our ministry, our leader identity. And in the end, it's do we love Jesus? Is he enough? You know, are you positioned for more of him? You know, folks, vineyard leaders, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we face. We are going to face massive challenges, persecution, but folks, ultimately, God is in charge of our churches and those we love. He cares far more. In Exodus, at the end of uh, verse 8, he says, I have come to rescue them. It's his people, his ministry, his child, his loved one, and you're his. You're his too, to do with what he wants. It's a test. Do you know, when it comes to our love for God, there's absolutely no ceiling to that. I love the signs and wonders. I embrace that word that was given to me last night. I read avidly Catherine Coleman books as a child. Uh, earlier this year, another prophetic person who knows me not uh, said he, he sensed that I had the spirit of Catherine Coleman. How ridiculous, but how amazing. So I, I thought I was going to take off and fly last night. And I embrace it. I love it. We want to see more miracles. It's just, I love the instant answers to prayer. I love the breakthroughs. That I just love it. I can't get enough of it. But folks, God has shown me so much more. God is at work deeply and meaningfully along this way. Some people have massively inspired me. Some of you will know who I mean by Linda Spicer. She battled with cancer for many years. Linda worked for South of London Vineyard. Neil and Kate have pastored her through these last, uh, these last months, this last year, and it was grueling. But Linda had an incredible faith. Linda believed that she could get healed, even at the end. It wasn't that she was denying that she was dying, but she had such faith. But folks, uh, Neil and Kate sent us a letter that she dictated for those of us who wanted to know how she was doing and where she maybe you know, couldn't take any more visitors. And she wrote this. This is some snippets. These are the last weeks of her life. I've been on this amazing journey 
where the cancer has increased. But with the Lord's help, I've managed to cope with it perfectly well. I'm now in a lot of pain. I'm having pain relief, which has helped hugely. I am dying, but I'm still having so much fun because I'm still seeing people and prophesying over them and praying for them and blessing them and having so much fun doing it. It's very exciting. I wouldn't give up this season in my life. I wouldn't sacrifice knowing the Lord in this way for anything. Folks, we're going to have trouble in this life. The Bible tells us we will experience shattering times. At times, I've sought the false comfort of worry, anxiety, and stress, and I've embraced these. I've tried to plan and organize uh, my way out of disappointment and confusion, especially when I feel threatened by my self-esteem is threatened or my self-worth. I've tried to control my way out of it. I've planned, I've schemed, I've determined not to let this terrible thing destroy me. And then I remember, I've been here before. (laughs) I have, and God has been faithful, and I see his provision in the scriptures. I see heroes of the faith and, and living heroes with an eternal perspective. And so my plan before free falling into anxiety is to choose trust to choose trust. I'm not saying I'm going to win every time, but I'm going to be accountable. I want to choose trust. You know, one helpful perspective is the word discipline. Now, we have such a negative view of the word discipline. I'm not talking about abuse and shouting and and horrible negative uh, ways that some people discipline, but don't we love it when we see a parent or a carer disciplining children well? No, that's not yours. Give it back. Yes, you do need to brush your teeth. No, you can't have another donut. (laughs) You see, discipline is rescuing us from a behavior that will ultimately harm us. In this season of struggle, what might God be rescuing in you and me? You see, with the Israelites, God was rescuing them for a better future, for a future where they would need greater dependence on him as they went into the promised land and battled and would see incredible, more amazing breakthroughs and miracles. He tried and tested and disciplined them in the desert, preparing them for the promised land. They had to be rescued from Egypt. They left Egypt, an unruly mob indoctrinated in Egyptian idolatry. Their journey was a journey of radical spiritual transformation. This journey we're on matters. The more on this journey, the unexpected, the unwanted are all important to our spiritual maturity. Vineyard leaders, you are doing an amazing job. You're fruitful. There's momentum as we extend God's kingdom together everywhere in every way. God is doing a mighty work through us, but he's also doing a mighty work in us. These hard parts are the special God space for you and me. It's the part where God matters more than anything. These hard hard parts are the faith space. It's the trust space. If you're in that space, I don't know how it's going to work out for you but it will be a good story with ugly parts. Some of it's gonna be ugly, but it's gonna be a good story. I want to encourage you, be real with God. Leave complaint behind. Choose trust. Let's see if we can shine through all the turmoil and the difficulties.